everybody welcome to down and out the sports and entertainment podcast taking the world by storm dom tibbets alongside evan ryer what up two sports quote-unquote professionals giving our best shot at the world of podcasting but we like to have fun we keep things loose and a lot to get to today but first a shout out to our music new intro music second time here in that that's jd masters and our buddy buddha both our buddies both good friends of the program that's man in the mirror go check them out on youtube soundcloud it's absolute fucking fire go check that out um, yeah, Evan, first off, before we uh, get into this, how are you doing on this beautiful Wednesday morning as we record? I'm, uh, I'm not too bad, you know, all things considered. Uh, I, uh, I got my first COVID shot yesterday, so not, uh, you know, that, that feels nice to, to finally get that going. And, you know, for the most part, just, uh, just, you know, really excited for another busy weekend of sports. So, uh, so, you know, like you said, we got a lot to get to. And now, before we just dive into the sports thing, I just want to ask you real quick: Do you feel any superpowers yet from the from the vaccine? Uh, no, no superpowers. No, um, you know, biotic mutations. Mm, okay, um, okay. Uh, you know, I I did get the shot in a Walmart, so you know, I was a little a little worried. But um, <laughs> you know, despite seeing all the mutants that shop at Walmart, uh, no, I'm I'm good currently. So. Uh, You're like, excuse no, me, excuse me, ma'am. I believe the Equate brand of this vaccine was not listed in the FDA's approved vaccine. Um, I, w- I was here for the Moderna, not the Equate. I have an issue yeah. with this. I just heard really bad things about the Great Value vaccine. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't. I you know, I'm glad I didn't take that one. So. Awesome. That's beautiful. I'll tell you who didn't need a vaccine after anything that happened. It was our Monday night NCAA men's basketball championship. You know, I, I I think that the Gonzaga-UCLA game was so good that the basketball gods wrapped up everything else being like, hey, we gave you a tournament, we gave you a great semifinal game, like tough titties, Gonzaga-Baylor is not going to be that much fun because it really kind of wasn't. It was an absolute routing by Baylor from the very, very beginning. It felt a lot like watching... Um it felt a lot like watching, like, the, you know, this sounds pretentious, but Alabama football national championships, like some of them anyways, where, you know, it's like they go up by two scores in the first quarter or so, and you're like, well, I guess I can turn this off. Yeah. Because I, I really, you know, there was, it seemed like every time that Gonzaga looked to to maybe find some juice, to maybe find a run, you know, uh, it, it Baylor was there. Baylor was ready for it, and I think I think you know part of what you were talking about how you know the the basketball gods you know were 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 punishing us after you know we we were living in extravagance, uh, and, you know after after you know the first four or five rounds of the tournament. But I mean I do think that there's something to be said about you know Gonzaga having to play a you know knock out or knockdown drag out type match against. Uh, UCLA and Baylor kind of 
you know, going up early on Houston and and kind of being able to kind of chill. Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of the same result. They they really did. They cruised. They kind of cruised against Houston too. That being said, that being said, the way that Baylor was playing last night, I really don't even like saying that idea about okay, well maybe Gonzaga was a bit more tired because I truly think that if both teams were at 100 percent last night, Baylor still wins that game. Cons- you know, you know, with uh, with authority. So. Um, yeah, it was just wickedly impressive. I mean, you know, we've, we, you know, we've, I think the story of Baylor all tournament was, I mean, you know, they've got the talent and they've got this insane athleticism, but I don't know if we had seen Gonzaga really play a team like that yet. And it yeah. kind of showed. Yeah, I, 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 I hate that Gonzaga lost by so much too because I don't want anybody to take away from the credit of how talented Gonzaga is. Yeah, anybody is. that's saying that is is whack. Like that, yeah, it's still I, a wildly I, impressive season. I don't think it plays into the Gonzaga choke narrative in any way. I just think that. Well, I, I just don't know. think what's warranted is any talk about like oh they play in like a a, a dog shit conference like it's it's dog water. It's yeah, easy. no, like, I, I think that's, that's just not warranted because they they've taken care of business. They're obviously extremely good for a reason. Now, it just does, unfortunately, suck second-blown national championship in the last four seasons. But, you know, I mean, you're always going to know Gonzaga will be there in years to come. And I guess what the biggest thing that, sh- that just shocked me with Baylor, and I give them all the credit in the world, because l- let's just be honest, you know, like the reason why I don't even you don't feel like the need to harp on Gonzaga is because Baylor was the best ba- best basketball team in the world that night. Nobody was going to beat Baylor. It didn't matter yeah. who was going against them in that national championship. Even if it was UCLA, you know, even if it was the magic of the Bruins, right? Like nobody was going to beat Baylor. And I-, I was expecting them to come out of that second half. You know, Gonzaga closes that down to 10, and really, I don't think it should have been. I don't think anybody really thought Gonzaga should only have been down 10, but in my head, I'm like, okay, like, Baylor definitely does not come out shooting nearly as good as they did in the first half. Gonzaga closes the gap, and here comes the comeback, right? Absolutely wrong. Bop! Nope. Wrong. Absolutely could not have been more wrong, because Gonzaga came out and was still, now not to the same success level, but still shooting almost lights out in that second half. Their consistency throughout that entire game what was amazing, and the 86 points, I think, was probably could even been 90 90 plus well the 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 beat the beat on the uh over was pretty heartbreaking for a lot of folks because it ended like a point short and i think they didn't score i don't think either team scored in like the final two minutes or something like that and it was a point short of hitting the over um pretty rough pretty rough stuff there but um no i mean it definitely could have been more definitely could have been more but the game had been over and I mean, that's like you said, that's the the reason why I, I don't want to hear much about, you know, oh, uh, well, I, I don't want to hear any anything undermining Baylor's win is because, like you said, their shooting was absolutely absurd. And not to mention, too, that, you know, I, I think really early on, uh, one of the moments that people were bringing up, but I think people are forgetting in retrospect, is that, you know, within like three minutes, Jalen Suggs had two fouls and had to be pulled for about 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, when, you know, when your best player is not on the court for half the first half and you were already down 9-0 when he got subbed out, I mean, I, I literally right then and there was like, this is not going to go well. That's not like, good. And, 
Well, and credit to yeah. you, how many times did you see Drew Timmy get the ball in the paint? You know, because I, I, the broadcasters kept saying in that game, so it was Nance and whoever else was on the call, they kept saying, you know, like Drew Timmy has to get get involved this offense. They have to feed the low post, get to him. Now, Timmy was getting his touches. Problem was, the minute he would bring that ball down anywhere lower than his chest, Baylor was there for the steal. I, I, I can't yeah. count the amount of times I saw in the first 15 minutes how many steals Baylor had in terms of and how it turned into easy transition points. You know, so a testament to their defense as well. They came ready to play, and you know, I guess you know, very much the, the best team. Now, what's even funnier, I was looking at the, obviously Vegas has already put out the odds to win next year's championship. Gonzaga mm-hmm. still actually remains the top team to go win it next year. I mean, they should. They're probably going to they're they're gonna return most everyone on that team. And mm-hmm. then, you know, um, I mean, I the, I get it. Like, you know, but it, I, if I was Vegas, I mean, I would think that I, I would make the same bet because I would I would consider Gonzaga a lock for the Final Four. Not a lock, but, I mean, I would definitely place a futures bet on the Final Four. I wouldn't place it on the, on the chipper. But – um, so I'm not surprised by that at all. Alabama actually was given the ninth best odds yep, uh, to win the. I, I think I think we're both win the national at the titles same so list here. Um, that felt good to yeah. at least see, but I mean, you know, it's a uh, it's a small consolation at this point. But um, no, I mean, I, I don't think that's crazy. I don't think it's crazy to pick Gonzaga as the favorite again because I think Baylor loses more, and I think mm-hmm. you know a lot of the teams that were in and around the mix actually lose more than Gonzaga does. So it uh, it'll be interesting to see for sure. Well, and then you know one thing we get to keep our eye on is the first year back when college basketball starts up. First year with uh, Roy Williams. Not at North Carolina anymore, and as we told you in the last show, we're going to keep you tracked. And uh, credit to us, we're not right a lot on this show, Evan, but um, credit to us. Now he was the favorite, so we're not like groundbreaking earth material. But we did try to take credit for this. I know, but I I want to take credit, but I do because credit to us. He was the favorite, but we did say Hubert Davis could get the job. So small victories, because honestly, we needed it after how miserable. Our NCAA selections went throughout the entire tournament. We need to pick yeah. me up, and I'm going to take credit for it. I don't care. Haters can hate. Give me the credit. We picked Hubert Davis. We knew he was getting the job. But honestly, well done for North Carolina. I think he's a guy who deserves a job. Good for them. Yeah, I mean, no, it's it, it only makes sense. And, I mean, you know, for the – especially considering that, you know, after, uh, you know, a ha- three-and-a-half-decade-long coach like Roy Williams, you know, I think – trying to maintain whatever type of atmosphere and culture that he's built through, you know, a disciple of his like Hubert Davis is is definitely the best way to go. I don't, you know, there's just nobody out there that was going to be probably worth the price tag. And, uh, so, you know, credit to him. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see exactly, you know, how quickly he gets that program off the ground or not off the ground, but, you know, how how quickly and how much time they give him to say okay so you've got you know this long t- before we need to see you know at least some elite results eight or yeah. you know a final four or what have you i mean he, if the dude goes and wins the you know the the ACC regular season then really you know he's got time to 
fuck around in the tournament, so to speak. I mean, you go win your 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 regular season or you know your your conference tournament and make the 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 tourney without uh, the need to win the conference tournament. I mean, you'll you'll be all right. You'll get some time. Um, but I think I uh, I, I just ahead. think with, I just think with him that you know you. It, it's not necessarily a, a ground zero situation because I don't think North Carolina basketball will ever be in terms of just you know bottom of the pit, total rebuild. I just don't think that the boosters, let alone the integrity of the program, will ever allow it to get to that stage. I mean, he's going to return some, some pretty good talent that he'll be able to work with. Now, I will say, though, I do believe for the first time in you know, a, a long, long time, really, you could say, with North Carolina. There is a significant uphill battle, though, that they are going to have to kind of wave through the storm because the ACC is only going to get stronger. I mean, next year, I think Florida State opens up as, like, almost double double clear favorites to win the ACC. Um, I, I, I know Duke is going um, to return some guys as well, so you'll still have Duke is going to play well. Clemson's still going to be around. Georgia Tech, uh, the kind of the, the ACC tournament champions, returns a good plethora of guys from that from that team as well. So the talent's going to be there, and I'm not saying North Carolina. I think they finish you know top six or better in the conference, but it's still an uphill battle in terms of trying to uh, obtain a, either a regular season title, a deep run in the ACC tournament, or and let alone an NCAA tournament berth. But I am happy that, as you mentioned, there is a guy who builds off of what Roy established. That way, you're not starting over from the very beginning. You have a guy who knows how to win. He's been around a winner, and... For you, I have to imagine as well, it's nice to see NATO still in Alabama and not Carolina Blue. Yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, that was that was one of those things that it was going to be, if they pulled that off, it was going to be truly sensational, like, you know, an insane uh, uh, maneuver considering how much his buyout is and, you know, also considering that, you know, he's he's got a good thing going at Alabama. So, nope, it's uh, it's still good to see, though, even though I wasn't too worried about it. Um, if I may, real quick, just because we've, uh, we've got Nate Oates, you know, on the topic and Alabama, so I just, I just want to say, uh, just want to, you know, throw a quick shout out and throw a quick, you know, kind of uh, uh, you know, sending my thoughts and prayers to the family of Cameron Luke Ratliff. Um, Cameron Luke Ratliff was, uh, you know, a diehard Alabama basketball fan, the diehard Alabama basketball fan who was in his senior year at UA and set to graduate in May and um, uh, d- died of COVID-based pneumonia uh, this past weekend, kind of out of the blue. Um, he hadn't missed an Alabama basketball game home or away in like four years. He went to every single game, NIT or otherwise, and was just a uh, is kind of, kind of like a you know like a, a symbol of, kind of that that bubbling uh, you know love for basketball that that Alabama fans do have, but it always kind of has to take a back seat to to football. Basketball never took a uh, back seat for that dude, and I I you know I've I've only seen him around, I never really got to meet him, but. You know, I uh, he he was he was a a very very important deal, and by all accounts, just a great fucking dude. And so, I just want to send my condolences out and and mention that, and and uh, you know, say that Fluffopotamus is still going to be rooting us on, even though he's not uh, not with us anymore. So I think I saw um, on uh, ESPN said that they're gonna uh, he's gonna be laid to rest in the jacket that the two assistant coaches gave him. The uh, the yeah the, the plaid jacket yeah. is uh, he he you know it's. 
the the plaid jacket actually has uh, interesting background too. Uh, because Alabama is arguably their greatest basketball coach ever, Wimp Sanderson, who took him to like three three sweet 16s in the late 80s and early 90s, always wore a plaid suit. And so they would call the they would call Coleman Coliseum the Plaid Palace. Um, and uh, so, you know, he being the diehard that he is, you know, that touch of plaid was actually like a, you know, a really, really cool deal, a huge deal. And. Like I said, I mean, the dude is just a was just a full round beacon of what Alabama basketball fandom can be, and and uh, hopefully, you know, the team does. They they you know they they spoke out front of Coleman players and coaches went and and all that stuff, and hopefully they can t- continue to do more. Um, I've seen you know talks about maybe doing like a patch on the jersey next year, which I think is. Uh, would be a fantastic idea and it's just tough man it's just it's a it's another reason why to you know i'm not you know we we typically don't get too serious on the show but i mean that's that was something that hit you know my uh my sports community pretty pretty close to the heart so it was on my mind no absolutely i mean that's what this platform is for it's what we can always talk about and Obviously, just, you know, being that we're two sports guys, it doesn't matter what school you are, and it doesn't matter if you're not a fan of that school as well, you know, like there's there's great sports stories, there's great sports moments, there's people who make those moments, he was certainly one of those people, and because, um, I mean, you're not the only Alabama fan that I've seen either on social media or have heard on radio shows that speak nothing but an abundance of kindness and 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 compassion towards uh, the, the kind of man that he was in his character. So, you know, our, uh, our down and out podcast crew, you know, sends uh, our condolences to his family and, you know, maybe may, may he have peaceful rest. One of my favorite terms that our friend Bruce Slayer ever, uh, Bruce Saylor, excuse me, ever gave me was uh, peaceful rest. Now, I always like that phrase. So shout yeah. out, shout out, Bruce. Um, you got anything else to add up? I was think figure it out. We got a, a big top bottom half of the show with, Big Sam Darnold news, and then obviously we're going to get into the Masters. So as long as you had nothing else to add, then we're going to go ahead and send it to the cash grab because we got a whole bunch to get to. Yeah, nothing on my end, so uh, let's uh, let's go get some money. All right, cool, cool, folks. Uh, we'll be right back. Quick word from our sponsors. This is Down and Out. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey guys, Dom here. I want to tell y'all about Anchor.fm. Yes, Anchor.fm. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First off, it's free and there's tons of creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Don't know how to get your final product on all the major streaming platforms? Have no fear. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on places like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started and tell them Down and Out sent you. All right, let's get back to the show. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us. This is Down and Out, second half of the show. Lots to get to. Uh, We're excited about this one because we're going to talk some golf, some golf, a little Masters talk. But first... We have, to talk, we, we have to talk a little bit about this free agency in the NFL because obviously another big move uh, that we all were kind of wondering, I guess really where he, what the Jets were going to do with him, but uh, Sam Darnold traded for three draft picks to the Carolina Panthers. You know, what were your early thoughts when you saw the Adam? First of all, 
Shefty win. A point for Shefty. I think he was the first to break it, so let's just always give credit to whoever broke the story first. Shefty won. Rappaport zero on this instance. Um, Shefty breaks the news. Sam Darnold to Carolina for three draft picks. Uh, good? Question mark? Has it advice? <laughs> Voice going I, higher? Voice crap? <laughs> it's, it is one of those things where... You know, there were so many people that, you know, upon the news coming out, there were a lot of people that was like, that doesn't feel like a lot for Darnold. And I'm like, like, don't me wrong. Like, I know the dude still very much has potential, but let's think about it. I think the Jets have probably been shopping Darnold for months now. And oh, 100%. Without and a doubt. It's without clear. A doubt. It's, it's obviously clear that the dude's not worth a first round pick. That's probably what they were asking for. And they finally got a deal that they don't absolutely despise. And it took a, not even a, a second rounder this year, but a second rounder in 2022. I mean, that's, that's not a great. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to say that's a great sign in terms of what the, the even Carolina kind of values the dude, but who knows, maybe they just played hardball and, and got a good deal out of it. Um, I think I think it's the fresh start that Darnold kind of has to have. I mean, it is, it is somewhere new, and it's with a, a head coach in Joe Brady that I actually think is, you know, a kind of guy that could probably get something out of him. But at that same time, like, I mean, it's, it's – uh, I just don't see – I don't really see it with him. I just don't. I've never really seen it with Sam Darnold. And I don't really see kind of a an offense around Sam Darnold that makes me think, oh, well, this is going to be, you know, completely game-changing. Don't get me wrong. There's some weapons there, but it's not this – um you know, it's not like he's stepping into, you know, the you know what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers of last year or something like that. You know, yeah. I mean, so, I I just don't I don't believe I've never as a as a fan of a team that's in the AFC East. I've you know, and a quarterback who was also in 2017 with him. Um, I don't. I, I, yeah, I just don't, I don't believe Darnold has the capability or ability that's going to turn Carolina into this this magical playoff team. I think there's still a lot to prove. I do agree that I think the fresh start is exactly what he needs, kind of like how the Bills getting Mitch Trubisky as their backup is, is to, start. Give him, to give them a refreshment. I kill this man. Uh, but I think if you're Sam Darnold and you're Carolina, like, you know, you're coming in probably expecting him to be the day one starter. And in a season or two, like if Darnold kind of has that same result that he's been getting in New York, then yeah, he's a bust, and Sam Darnold will just turn into a, an Andy Dalton, quite frankly. He'll just be a, a, a backup quarterback or a starting quarterback for a struggling team for years to come. And So I, I, I just really feel like the Jets, the, in terms of just his development and the way they handled this trade as well, I, I, don't, I think the Jets lost this one. I think they gave up way too much, honestly. For Sam Darnold still, um, considering the fact he was a first-round number three overall pick in the NFL draft. They, they just gave up too much, um, but... Uh, Over, overall, I'm, I'm like sorry, it's still lost. Yeah, yeah, I just think I think they just you know gave up too much value in, in, in Darnold as well. But, I mean, they do get three draft picks out of it, so I'm curious to see what they do there. And to just go on your point about Darnold being in Carolina... Um, Christian McCaffrey in the backfield, at least, like, positive sign. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just keep trying to think of, like, 
how to make this spin zone a positive. And I'm like, well, he does get to play with Christian McCaffrey. So like, that's cool. That's obviously, no, I mean, that's <laughs> obviously where your, your, where your mind goes. And, and I think he will, I think his stats will improve, but the, the good news is for Carolina is if he's, if he's not good, they'll probably still be picking in the top 10 next year. And, you know, the uh, the the you know you can at least maybe at that point say okay well maybe we can trade up or maybe there's a quarterback we like in the top ten you know uh, I think truly what this says is that you know because they pick like number eight overall they don't think that any of those quarterbacks are going to get to them at eight they don't that to me that's what this says that they don't think that any of I mean, obviously not Trevor Lawrence, Zach or, Wilson, or, or Justin Fields, or that the quarterback that they want is not going to be there at eight. Yeah, potentially, but I mean, you, I, if you ask me, would you rather have Mac Jones or Trey Lance over Sam Darnold? I would take Mac one Jones. of them. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I would take, yeah, 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 absolutely. But I, I would I, take one of them. So, like, I think, I think it just, I think it's, I, I really do think it's more of them saying we don't think a quarterback's going to get there. Like, we think all five are going to be taken before the eighth spot. I truly think it's more that than anything else. And the more I think about it, the more I've, you know, kind of uh, grappled with that. The more I'm like, yeah, I can. Definitely see a scenario where we we hit pick seven and five quarterbacks are off the board, which is like insane, but it's it's very well possible. Um, that would be all oh my. That'd be absolutely wild. Big big twenty seventeen vibes coming back. I I I just feel that also it kind of in going the terms of what of what New York gave up in value for Darnold. Just his uh, his overall draft value of what they got him for a couple of years back. I uh, I don't. A good for the Panthers for definitely not giving up like anything higher than a, a first, you know, first round pick or anything like that. And as you mentioned, like that that best pick, that second rounder, isn't coming until twenty twenty two. That I think that's what stings me about the Jets in this situation as well. Is it's like, how did you not manage to get at least like a third rounder of this current year? Because you're gonna go get. You know, let's just assume, right? All the all the mocks are right. Jets are gonna go get either um, Justin Fields or Zach Wilson. That's gonna be the quarterback uh, for the New York Jets. Go get a higher draft pick to go get him some talent. Because obviously, with so many quarterbacks being going in the first round, you know you're gonna get some deep skill position talent in the late first round, early second round. So go get a draft pick right now. Like, why are you waiting till the sixth round after that? I don't. I don't know if the the Carolina Panthers were just playing that much hardball and the Jets couldn't manage to get it done, but man, I just I, I have a hard time believing that. I really do have a hard time believing that the Jets couldn't get anything better than what they got for Darnold. Three draft I, picks I, is three draft picks, but I just I think they could have gotten better. I, I I'll, I'll counter what you're saying with with a couple points. I think. I think that, like I said, they've been shopping them. They've been shopping them. We're a few weeks away from the draft or less. And, you know, they said, okay, well, it's, it's, we got to sell. We got to, we got to go ahead and just and cash out here because we're not going to get any, it's not going to get any better at this rate. On top of that, I think the Jets' logic is we are not going to go compete for a division, compete for the division this year. We are not looking to, you know, win I would say 10 games this year I don't think that's on the table for the Jets even as Zach Wilson who you know I think is 
is kind of the expected pick at this point. Even if he balls out, we're not going to go win 10 games. So if we get a second rounder this year, if we get a second rounder next year, it really doesn't matter so much. We're going to be able to use that pick, you know, because this is not a one year, you know, this can't, this isn't a project that needs to get done in one year. This is a project that they're going to have two to three years to, to work with. And the way they see it, okay, well, you know, we'll, uh, We'll, we'll kind of deal this year. We'll be able to, you know, pick up another weapon or whatever we need with that second rounder next season, which, you know, based on Sam Darnold being the quarterback of the Carolina Panthers, I mean, shit, there's a, there's a chance that Carolina picks, you know, in a, in a better spot than the Jets do. I mean, the you know, who knows? Like, the Jets might end up getting, you know, one of the first picks of the second round. I mean, it's very, very possible. So, I, I think it just doesn't matter to them that much. I think they just kind of said, okay, well, this is going to take some time. If we can't get a second rounder this year, we might as well make sure that we can get one and go get, you know, somebody or, you know, an offensive tackle or what have you, you know, next year when we when we need it and we figure out what we need to put around Wilson to, uh, to make him perform at his best. And so, I, I – I, I just don't think it matters all that much from the perspective of the rebuild. You know, I mean, of course, Jets fans, that's that's probably not going to make them feel better. But Most I definitely mean, not. I, I just always, I operate under the mindset of, because this this the NFL is so much as a, a, a what are you doing for me now league. So I very much operate under that. My, it's why I'm not a general manager, because I would just make hasty decisions with money if I was owning or operating an NFL football team. But it's it's a what are you doing for me now? And, and, and what are the Jets doing for us now going off it and, and, and you know, getting rid of, uh, you know, well... It was inevitable, so I guess it really is no no fault in getting rid of Sam Darnold because that, that's inevitable. I think that's obviously the, the smart move, but just not getting an immediate the snap of the finger gratification for that move. You know, I I I, I do now that listen, you've kind of talked me a little bit off the ledge in a sense. Is you know maybe say a couple months ago, I think the Jets could have very much had warranted like, hey, like it's high draft pick, high first second round draft pick for Sam Darnold. This guy is a, a first round quarterback. He's and I don't think Sam Darnold is that bad. Bad as I've mentioned earlier when we first started this, but I do think as the time did weather on, as you said, you know they probably have been shopping him around. Um, it just became inevitable that they did have to make the move. I just I, I just believe in my heart and mind still that I, I I just don't know what the Jets do in this situation. Um, it's just gonna be another. I, I guess I'm just another rough year, and if they're okay with that, then you know so be it. And I I mean that's how it's gotta be, bro. I mean there's it, it, that's it. I mean that's the thing with the Jags, dog. Like we're taking Trevor Lawrence, and obviously we're wickedly excited, and and we expect him to do well in the opening season. But I mean, we I, if you ask any Jags fan. How they would feel about a seven and ten season? God, that still feels weird to say. It does say, but it's it, uh, it's weird to hear too. Yeah, like we would be ecstatic. Seven and ten would be fantastic, considering we went one and fifteen in twenty twenty. Like you got to keep it in reason, you know the improvement. So that's the thing with the Jets is that I think their best improvement would be yeah, winning five or six more games than they have. So I mean, really, it's it's one of these things where. Yeah, man, it's just not going to be this year in terms of you know they don't they're not worried about winning now. I mean they they want to to start building the foundation, but you know they'll they'll get there or at least 
hopefully well, get there. I don't there. know. I mean, because how, how many times has it seemed like in the last, you know, couple <laughs> ten plus se- you know ten plus seasons have the Jets been in this rebuilding phase? You know, and what has that resulted, right? And and I and listen, like uh, up until twenty nineteen. As a Bills fan, I know I don't really warrant that much of that discussion because that literally seemed like the Buffalo Bills' story as well. It was trying to figure out what the hell are we doing with this organization. But I just, as a guy who doesn't like the Jets and as a guy who just has so many question marks about them, I just, I don't know. I, like, I, I'm a very big instant gratification guy. So that's that's where my trouble is coming from. So the it's only not even uh... an issue. It's just that, that's it's a me thing. It's a not you. It's a me thing. <laughs> the only other uh, angle I want to bring up real quick is, you know, I just saw a couple of people talking about it on Twitter, which is, you know, I mean, what, what, what does this mean for Teddy Bridgewater? Is he just now the backup to Sam Darnold? Is it, is it, you know, is he going to be looking to get dealt? You know, what are, what are you going to do there? Because I mean, at this point with Teddy, you're like, geez, man, like, yeah, it's, 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 like, it's rough waters, rough waters for him. Really? It's, I, I don't really know what comes next for the dude. And I mean, and, you, uh, you absolutely I, expect them to both compete for the starting spot. If Teddy is on the, if Teddy's on the team during OTAs and in fall camp, you, I would absolutely expect them to compete for it. Right. But, but there was even talk if correct me if I'm wrong, but I do believe there was even talk last season about Teddy Bridgewater's future. Like how certain was it in Carolina? What were I could they see to do? I could see mid mid draft trade for Teddy. I could see like a of round three or round four. I don't. For, and, and you know what though, Teddy Bridgewater is still like a decent quarterback. I think if you're a team who maybe wanted to get one of like you know one of those top tier quarterbacks and you didn't necessarily have the the right pick, you know you're a little farther back in the draft. You know that's that's not a bad pick. Or you know if you're if you're saying maybe. I don't know. Maybe you're, maybe you're saying you're picking ninth or tenth, and you decide to go the Kyle Pitts route, right? You know, you take a, a skill player over the quarterback. That's my gone. thing. If like, I'm Carolina, that's that is one thing that oh man, I would be as a Carolina fan, I would be like screaming at people. At least this is what I would hope the Panthers would be doing: is that okay? Well, fuck you, hoes. We're gonna yeah, <laughs> Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold's gonna be our quarterback for a season. Worst case, best case scenario, he's a god. And, you know, it's just been covered up. Worst case scenario, we didn't have to take a quarterback or, like, trade up for a quarterback in the first round. We got to take Kyle Pitts instead. We got to take generational talent Kyle Pitts instead. I mean, I would be so stoked as a Carolina fan, actually. I would be like, well, there's no way we don't take an offensive weapon, at least as far as I can tell. Right. I mean, they're going to probably take Kyle Pitts or Devontae Smith. And I'll be honest, folks, I'm, you know, roll tied till I die and alley all the way. But Jesus Christ, if I see Devontae Smith go off the board before Kyle Pitts do, I'm going to, like, I'm going to plant bombs in NFL front offices. No, I'm not. That's excessive. But like <laughs> truly, truly like when you when you realize mid sentence what you said, you're like, yeah, I, 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 I realize I, I, I'm not advocating for terrorism, uh, but <laughs> but the the fact is is that Kyle Pitts is that dude. And like, oh man. I, here, oh, my man. thing about that too, I know we're getting a little bit off of it, but I don't think that's a wild I don't think that's a wild scenario that that might yeah, actually I mean, happen, really. That yeah, might and I mean, happen. shit, like, 
If you get if you get Kyle Pitts, I would definitely as a Panthers fan, I feel like the idea of Sam Darnold becoming your quarterback becomes a lot easier to swallow if uh, if that's the guy you take at that eight spot or which uh, whichever spot they have. I believe it's eight. Yeah, but, um, yeah, they're drafting yeah, that's, eight. Darnold, I, I mean, yeah, Darnold Darnold kind of has that. I think he still has the potential. It's just it's it's a it's a make or break kind of time for him in his career. So you know maybe that fresh start kind of gets it done for him and uh well we shall we shall see we shall see what kind of comes out of that that's gonna be gonna be fun to watch you know honestly i'm just you know once again just happy that really it seems like the miami dolphins and possibly the resurgent uh new england patriots will be the only thing the bills have to worry about it's nice when you only have to worry about like two teams in your division and not the full slate of three because it wasn't that way for the longest time the buffalo bills so shout out to the jets for giving me another at least two seasons of feeling good that we're going to sweep you guys every season that we play well you know that's uh that's what they're there for so make it make it count yes sir um but uh, and that's what the it. Jags are there for. Yeah, I, was about, I, was, yeah. I was about to say, I was like, you yeah. get it. You're a Jag fan. You know it. It's funny like. though because the Jags always. That's the thing is that that was you know people don't realize people always think that the Jags are you know they're the worst franchise in the NFL. But if you go look at their records, actually, like don't be wrong, a lot of lot of bad seasons. But I mean, they've only this is their first ever one loss season or one win season, and then. Before that, they'd only their worst season. They've only had one two win season. I mean, they really haven't ever been. That's the thing. I mean, they've never had the first overall pick. This is the first time ever, and uh, people are always seem to be like a little bit surprised by that. And I'm like, nah, man. We just win enough meaningless games against the Titans and Colts. Yep. That uh, that you know we we don't give ourselves the best chance to go get a franchise talent, and you know we finally done it. Um, and uh, yeah, I gotta thank the Jets for for winning that game. Uh, winning those games back in uh, in November, December, that was you know truly jaw dropping stuff. Um, but uh, I think I think we've exhausted just about every angle of of San Darnold, the Jets, and Carolina at this point. So, I, and I want to like I said, I want to talk Jolf. Let's do it, baby. Let's I want to get down to Augusta. Um, I, I really, this is kind of the part where like non-big avid golf fans like me, we actually start taking an interest in golf because the Masters are the Masters. Obviously, you hear hello, hello friends. friends. Yeah, it yeah. just it, it just sends chills to your body. You're ready to sit down for a, a nice long weekend of, of wall-to-wall coverage of golf. Uh, a lot of big storylines, I guess, in this one. I got. Well, is there anything that pokes out to you? Because there's a lot of different ways, I guess, we can go with this. Well, you know, obviously, I would say that the, one of the big things on my mind is just, you know, it's it's it was already going to be tough for Tiger to make the the Masters based on some of his, you know, recent health issues. But with the car crash and everything else, I mean, it's obviously it's you know, you always want to see Tiger at the Masters. I mean, that's 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 something that you know I think in modern day golf is a image is a you know an aesthetic that that is important to the game so it's it, it is unfortunate uh that that he won't be there and i mean from there it kind of just becomes you know it, it, it really it's one of the few tournaments right now that or not one of the few tournaments but we're in a moment in which jordan spieth justin thomas dustin johnson bryson DeChambeau, all these dudes are playing fairly solid golf i mean 
you know, Jordan Spieth breaks the four-year drought last weekend just in time for the Masters. I mean, he you got to be thinking about him. Justin Thomas won at the Players, which was a huge win for him after kind of a a, a, a turbulent, you know, previous year. John I Rahm mean, had a baby, so you always want to bet on the guy who had a baby. because John Rahm could—that's the thing is that John Rahm was playing absolutely out of his damn mind like six months ago. He hasn't. He's he's cooled down a little bit, but that's. I mean, I think John Rahm's a great pick. Um, a lot of you know, a lot of tactics for for people picking winners when it comes to betting is picking you know Americans and picking Euros. John Rahm is definitely my Euro pick. A lot of people feel good about Rory, you know, thinking that he's gonna ha- kind of have a bounce back tournament because he hasn't exactly played well these past you know since the start of the season in January, but. I think John Rahm is still the dude because he just hits it so far, has such like precise short game too, which if you can bring those two things together like Dustin Johnson did last, you know, last year, uh, and by last year I mean last November, it's uh it's kinda wild that we're, you know, like barely six months on from the last Masters. Right. Um But I mean, if he if you bring those two aspects of your game together, you will succeed on that golf course, and uh, John Rom certainly has the tool set to do so. I, I just think I, when I think of guys, and this is like I said, this is because I don't have the in-depth knowledge of golf that you necessarily do. Really, though, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but I just think of the the shot that you get when somebody hits the final putt on 18th on the Sunday. And they go over, kiss their wife. If I just always see there's a baby. There's a baby in the wife's hands. He comes over, gives the baby a kiss. Like that's and to me that's why I'm like, okay, this guy probably wins because he has a baby now that he's playing for. And like that's the way the storyline would obviously. Hey man, go. the baby factor, it brings six strokes off your game. You know, people don't talk about that, but it's true. If you have a baby, you'll if you're trying to get better on the golf course, just have a child, and you'll uh, you'll you'll go six strokes better. Um, you hear it here first, so um, no. But I mean, I I totally get what you're saying, and I mean that's the thing is that you got to think about it though. Justin Thomas has kids. Yeah. Jordan Spieth, no, I believe, has a, a kid. A lot of these kids. You know? A lot. A lot of these people have have kids. Excuse me. You're right. I just I just think of who who had sex the the recent and who pushed out the baby the late the most recently and that's that's john rom that's a covid baby so shout out john rom he got he got bored during covid obviously so uh (laughs) um i i look at the rest of this field too and i'm just kind of interested in a guy because i I just saw these videos of him absolutely annihilating balls in the driving range. What does a guy like Bryson DeChambeau do to win this tournament? Like, if he does win a Masters, does it like does it take away like this villain role that he appear that he appears to kind of have in golf? It's so funny with uh, with Bryson because like he, there's a lot of folks that don't like the dude because he is kind of brash and obnoxious, but. Really, I would say he's the like twenty twenty one version of a like. I mean, is I, I you know I don't want to uh, to to minimize it too much or demonetize it too much, but I mean he really does kind of feel like what John Daly must have felt like in the late eighties when when he was kind of hitting the mainstream golf scene because he could hit the ball so fucking hard and far and really didn't you know have that um. I mean, Bryson definitely has a bit more, like, golf etiquette class and, like, kind of a classic look to him rather than Daly did. But he definitely, you know, is a guy that, I mean, you know, is fist-pumping after 
you know, carrying the ball 350 yards, which you don't really see dudes do that. I, I truly think he's great for the game of golf because I think he's wildly entertaining, whether you like him or dislike him. I personally uh, am not a fan. Agreed. I, I personally am not a fan. Um, like just I, it's like I, it's not it's I, it, he's like I said, I will watch the dude play and I will happily watch the dude play because it is fun to watch. But I'm pretty much always rooting against him. Is that, is, I that think, just, is that just your your traditional golf coming out in you, or is that is that just? Yeah, I think it's it's somewhat that, but um, it, I I think too. I mean, it's also important to realize that uh, you know, it's it goes a little bit deeper than that. You know, if you go look past the uh, the playing, you know, the pro days, you got to remember that this is a guy that went to. Uh, you know that, or ah, oh, dude, I got it mixed up. Never mind. Anyways, I'm gonna cut off that tangent right there. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I just, I think, I think watching somebody hit the ball extremely far, and he does have other solid parts of his game. He's big not ha- just big a happy Gilmore vibes. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, the dude literally. I mean, shit, man. When someone can carry the ball 330 yards in the air, sometimes. I mean, that's just. <laughs> That's just good television, and uh, I, I can't hate on that aspect. Granted, like I said, personality-wise, Bryson's not my dude. But to kind of get back, finally get back to your question of, you know, does this kind of shift him uh, from being a, you know, a, you know, an, a villain to whatever? I mean, I think it would definitely help. Uh, because I think I think winning at the Masters is always like that. Yeah, um, I, I also because I mean, I, yeah, there's there's the the respect that one earns and garners from you know wearing the green jacket, and I just of think of course. And, and and like I said, for a guy that loosely follows golf, you know, like I think for a non traditional golf fan, like as you mentioned, I'm glad you did because I think Bryson is a guy who's extremely good for the promotion of the game of golf because I think he kind of brings in a different audience, you know, and you and you. But hope- it's important. To- and you oh, hope, it, and you hope, you just hope it doesn't get out of control with you know, because you don't obviously, you know, you laugh about the Happy Gilmore thing, but I think there definitely becomes a problem if you see women flashing golfers at, at a PGA event, and uh, you know, there's guys doing uh, uh, keg stands and beer funnels on the 17th green leading up to the par three, you know, like there, there definitely becomes an, an, an issue with that in a sense, but uh, it, it's that's the thing with. That's the thing with Bryson, though, is I don't think he's necessarily that level of, like, he's not really a partier. The reason why he's so good and the way he is is that he's pretty obsessive about, like, his body preparation and, and his play. I mean, he goes to the driving range and hits balls for hours and hours, kind of VJ Singh-esque. Um, and and so he, he really is, like, completely dedicated. I will say that, um, you know, winning the Masters isn't a, you know, a – you become a hero or well-liked, you know, it's not instantaneous because, you know, the Houston Astros of the PGA Tour, Patrick Reed, is, you know, like still absolutely despised and for, you know, by a lot, a lot of fans. And that man has a green jacket. So um, I think what's funny too, though, is that so hitting it long at Augusta is definitely like a very, very like helpful thing. You know, you can pick up all those strokes on the back nine with the, you know, part part fives on 13 and 15 and, you know, hell even, you know, potentially come close to driving the green on number 14 sometimes and, you know, and, or, you know, potentially number 10. But the thing is, is that it, you, there's, there's, there's distance, but you really do have to be accurate distance. It's not, it's kind. It's not you know the the type of scenario where 
you can just you know hit it deep and wherever you end up you'll be safe like you know the 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 winners of that tournament Dustin Johnson last year was murdering tee shots but he was placing them in really really great spots that's what Bryson has to do Bryson can't just I mean he's gonna murder tee shots but if he loses them it could get it, I mean that course can still make you put up really high numbers if you're not if you're not playing it careful and by all accounts it's pretty dry in Augusta right now so the greens are going to be you know even more bikini wax than they typically are to quote uh um you know uh, like a, a famous line about the golf course is uh is yeah they're bikini waxed um but I mean it is uh it's. I, I think Bryson definitely has a very good chance. I would definitely wouldn't blame anyone for putting their money on him, but I gotta stick with the Alabama boy, and I'm I'm putting my money on JT. I put my money on Justin Thomas because I feel like he's playing good golf again. You know, the type of play he was displaying at the players makes me think that that should transition well to uh, to the Masters, and and uh, I think I think he'll be in the mix. Um, I, I think him. I think DeChambeau. Um, trying to think of who else is playing really well right now. Uh, there's a guy. There's a guy who I've been following just because I see him on part of my take. But he's been playing. It's Max Homa. It's been playing really well. And yeah, he's got, he's Max got himself Homa's up in, in one of the higher pairing. Got his right W now. earlier this year, and then I think Colin Morikawa is a guy I like a lot. Who's a younger, uh, younger American golfer. Um, I could see him definitely being in the mix. Um, uh, there's it's it's one of those years that. It doesn't really feel like there's a hard favorite, and um, no, you know, I want to. Uh, hard go, favorites go don't ahead. matter so much, but but it, it is nice to kind of feel like, all right, well, sounds like anybody could win this tournament, which that's part of the beauty of Augusta is that, you know, it's it really is one of those. I mean, you go look look at the list of people that have won, uh, a, you know, a, a major on the PGA Tour, and a lot of them, their only major is Augusta. So, right. uh, you know, there you go. I just I have a question is because you said Dustin Johnson is the uh, defending champ of Augusta back in November. Correct. correct? Why does he tee off at ten thirty? So like in the middle of the pack and not up with other people like like with Bryson and Justin Thomas, Spieth and Max Homa and all them. So the reason for that is because they do not, you know, on Saturday and Sunday your tee times are determined by where you're at at the leaderboard. leaderboard. Right. Okay. Right. Thursday and Friday, they just kind of you're going to get a earlier tee time. How it generally works is that you get an earlier tee time, and then if you played at like 10:30 on, if you teed off at 10:30 on uh, Thursday, that means you're going to tee off at like 2 p.m. on uh, Friday. Oh, so okay. you'll okay. you'll get like a morning and an afternoon, or if you're you know close to noon, you'll probably be close to noon again on that next day. So um, so Spieth, so like the group with Spieth, Cameron Smith, and Colin Morikawa, like they'll go like earlier in the day on Friday because they're yeah, at two yeah. Of, okay, yeah, more than likely. And I mean, it, they basically how it works is you know the PJ Tour in this case, uh, you know uh, the the, the people running the show at Augusta National will basically kind of pick the groups. You know, you set up, you kind of, you try to get these, uh, you, you pair good, you know, 
well-known players with well-known players or, you know, you pair like a Jordan Spieth with, you know, a Colin Morikawa, someone who's extremely promising and, and, and playing really, really good golf. So that's kind of their logic, you know, is more from that point is setting up the entertainment factor of let's get good groups together. Yeah. Um, smart. That's smart. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And that's, that's how it always is. And, but yeah, they don't, they don't really, uh, the, the, you know, idea of playing with the best players around you doesn't really start until Saturday morning. Um, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, like I, I was it. just more so just kind of curious on that, but I mean, because like Dustin's group is still like you know he's got Lee Westwood, obviously you know that's a that's a British guy that I even I always remember because he oh, he was, used to be really good. I remember him. Uh, then in that group after him, you have John Rahm and Rory McIlroy. Like that's obviously a good group in there too. So I. Yeah, there's a lot of lot of pretty good big names and a lot of up and coming guys that obviously you just you hear so much about uh, in the world of golf and you know this is obviously I think do, do you feel like this Masters you know because I know we had it back in November but because it's back in its original time the original month where it's supposed to be played do do you feel like it has a, a more of a special aura around it because it's you know we're we're back playing traditional Masters at that traditional time. I, I think there's something to be said about that because it definitely doesn't feel like it's less special. Like, it doesn't feel any less special that it's Masters Week right now. It feels fantastic. and, even, and I though, think, even though we played it like six months ago, basically. Right. I think more six months ago when they played it, it felt special because it was, you know, in, you know, uh, the fall for the pretty much the first time since like 1920, whatever the fuck. And... On top of that, we had been waiting for the Masters, and we wanted our Masters. We we got that. Now it's spring. The azaleas are in full bloom, and it, it's it truly. And there's fans, and it feels it feels like a you know a real Masters. So no, I think I think there's something. I think there's some uh, some truth to that, and it, it it really does feel as special as it does as it you know as it does any other year and um you know i mean it's it's one of those things where i love watching the u.s open love watching the british open love watching the players in my hometown of jacksonville florida but there's really nothing that compares to like the just the mystique and the the aura that that augusta national and the masters gives off i mean it's I, I was, you know, when I was playing high school golf and different things like that, I was got pretty obsessive over the history of the course and, and the tournament. And, I mean, it is it is mind-boggling. It's almost like, like I don't want to say serial killer, but, like, like it's, like, thriller-esque. Like, there is some absolutely wild twists and turns uh, that, that kind of the politics and the, the different background and the, the story of how Augusta National came to be is, is kind of crazy. Um, and not to mention, too, that, you know, it's, it's stories over time have only, you know, kind of contributed to that. And uh, right. it's just, it's, uh, you know, I've, I've only gotten to go once for a practice round. It was a Tuesday practice round and I was, it's probably 12 years ago now. I was probably like, you know, 14 or, you know, like 13 years old or whatever. But I mean, when you're, when you step out onto that course, it's, if you, if you feel the mystique watching it on television, then it's something you, it's a bucket list item to at least go for a practice round or something because it is, 
I, well, I, mean, I mean, magnificent. I, I, it's, think, it's I just, think you just you have to be like a fan of sports. Like even someone like me who is just getting kind of into golf recently. But let's just – I even thought back, you know, let's say back when I was in early college, late high school, when I really just wasn't into golf. Like I still always had the dream of going to the Masters. Like that's just – like I, I will go watch – the Masters because of how big of a deal it is. Like, you're, I, I think you just have to be a sports fan to appreciate what that kind of event is, is and the history of it and what it's all led to. And I really, I really do love that everybody becomes a a, glor, a, a very big uh, botanist enthusiast because obviously the azaleas are in full bloom and they're beautiful, but it's. Early on when I was getting into the Masters and stuff, like, that was always hilarious to me is that how much people just radiate to flowers. Like, how big of a deal these flowers are to the, well, the non-everyday golf fan. It sounds crazy, but when you see them accent the course the way they do, you do very much understand why they're such a big deal. Well, then on top of that, I mean, each hole is named after a a, a species of, of, of vegetation on the course. So, you know, whether it's a flower or a type of tree or what have you, I mean, it is, it, that's the thing, man. Like I said, when you talk about the story and the depth of Augusta National, I mean, it goes so, so deep. Like it is, it is, I mean, mystical in a lot of ways. And, and it's, you know, I, I personally, when I think about me getting into golf, I give the Masters a lot of credit because I just think of, I think there was one spring, one, you know, a lot of times the Masters will sync up with Easter weekend. It was one week off this year, but that's always a huge part of it is, you know, at least in my memories is sitting on the couch on Easter Sunday after running around and getting eggs and everything in the morning and just sitting on the couch with my dad and, and, and just watching the Masters. And there was one year in particular that Phil Mickelson, uh, uh, he actually ended up losing the, um, Miguel Angel Cabrera in like the the playoff but you know he he made a run and I was like so captivated by golf and had a great time watching the turn the the finality of the tournament that I immediately went out to my yard and started like hitting shots into the woods and that was kind of that that was literally from that point on I was playing golf you know nearly you know at least once every other day up until I graduated high school um, and so I, I give, it's always a very nostalgic and special time of year for me because I credit a lot of my passion for, for golf and getting into the sport is, is, uh, I, I give, I give the masters the credit on that one. So it's, uh, it's exciting. It's exciting to, to get back to it. And one thing I, I'll leave this 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 conversation off at. I want to know because we've talked about before, you know, how exclusive obviously it is. I don't think a lot of people who don't really understand golf know how exclusive, how difficult it is to play around there at Augusta National. Um, what what would be <clears throat> the extent of how far you would go to go play around there, and why would you kill me? Uh, I mean, not you. Well, you're disposable. So I mean, that's no. I mean, I there is a lot. Like I think most people would agree with me that you know if they got told that they could play around at Augusta National for like three grand or five grand or something, that they would they would figure out a way to make it work. Because I mean, it's just perfectly designed golf course. Honey, our and, kids are going to community college. I'm borrowing right, your trust like, fund. 
I know people that have gotten to play the course and they didn't have to pay an arm and a leg. They got lucky because they happen to know some people that, you know, are, are members at the course. And it's, uh, it's, I mean, it is, there's not another course in the world. Like St. Andrews, maybe in Scotland, you know, the legendary you yeah, know, right. uh, British Open course would be, would be up there for me. But really, I mean, it's, it is, yeah. Like I would, I would pay, I would take out a loan. Like I often bring up that, you know, there's certain bands that I would be willing to, you know, pay in the four figures for to just, you know, go see that price is like half of what I'd be willing to pay uh, to, to go to play around on Augusta because I mean, it's, there's nothing like it as far as, uh, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it's, I, it, the, the reverence that I obviously have for it and that golf fans in general have for it is just, I mean, tremendous. I mean, it's, I, I don't know if there's ever, I, I don't know if there's a comparison in sports really like in terms of, you know, a universal location, that everyone kind of treats as like holy ground. You know what I mean? Like, you know, there's places that certain fan bases treat as holy ground, yeah. but there's no real like... Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of trying to think because it's tough because a lot of the, the team-based sports, you know, you kind of travel. Back in the day, you could say Madison Square Garden, like back in the 60s and 70s when it was like, you know, truly the biggest, you know, indoor back, arena. Back when base, back when it was before um, Yankee Stadium, before the, the house that Ruth built, like Polo Grounds way back in the day for baseball right, had right. that kind of feel to it. But Rig- that doesn't really Rigley. exist anywhere else anymore. No, yeah, I, I, I think that's just because for the individual sport that golf is, I think that's what the Masters bring. Because the only other sport that I really try to draw a comparison to that too is tennis. And tennis just doesn't, to me... Wimbledon does kind of have that reverence in a lot of ways. People do feel tennis fans. I know feel the same way, but I mean, I've also I don't I still don't know if it compares. It's weird. It, it's I, it's uh, it's all I think I, I, probably an opinion based question. I I think it, it it can kind of hold a little bit of its own, but really at the end of the day, it's probably not in the same room as the Masters because it, it it is it is just a, a spectacle and, and one of the greatest sporting events that we get treated to every year. And shout out to again Jim Nance. Hello, friends. Oh, I can't wait. Just can't wait to hear it. Which is why you got to stick with us when we uh, we come back on Saturday to uh, break down who made the cut and who missed the cut and all the highlights of the first two uh, first forty eight at Augusta National. And it's going to be a lot of fun, folks. So yeah, as Evan said, be sure to tune back in Saturday. We'll drop a new episode. We're going to record and tell you all about that and many, many more. Uh, big storylines from the Masters, other sports news going on, and anything else big that we feel like talking about. But, uh, folks, this has been a great episode. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, Evan, any final words for the people? Nope. Just happy it's Masters week and happy the uh, NCAA tournament is over so I can stop thinking about Alabama basketball for a few months. Um, <laughs> so, you know, uh, uh, on to the next one. The road to recovery begins now. Folks, thank you for listening. This has been Down and Out. We'll see you next time. Later. Trying to fix the damages on the outside of the end. I don't know where to begin. Doesn't help. I hit the bottle and get messed up with my friends. And I don't want to face it, but my mentalism basic. It's complex. Seeing all the strings and I hate it. But don't feel sad for a guy that is mad. Get glad and help me turn into a guy like that. Castle. Pull up on the scene and cause a hassle. Happy looking at me like who is this bastard? Cool like iceberg slam pop like medicine that isn't really yours, but you take it with your friends cool calm collected but i love to act hectic sitting in the
the corner in the dark like Riddick With the notepad out thinking about lyrics I ignored your story cause I didn't wanna hear it Bitch, did you ever really catch a switch Where I went from rock to boo to cop the vibe like a fish Assist like white chocolate handing out a dish If the devil shows up then my soul he just wish I might accept the offer cause I wanna grind like cause And give the trophies to my mama Make him sweat like a sauna Cause act like I can't then I'ma spit like a llama Take your girlfriend out and give a Balenciaga So check me out, fill me up and watch me bounce Cause the new man in the mirror is looking like a mouse Switch places, change faces, now Buddha runs a house Trust hip hop more than bitches, so I'ma take her as a spouse Or at least a concubine If in front of my God feel divine I'ma grab it like a shield and I'ma make it shine Cause when I'm polished, I'll abolish if you cross the line That's how I am feeling Keep growing like a giant, go through the ceiling gonna do now especially when i bring the energy like it's a powwow besides find a man page your face cause you a damn clown look around only one that is and i'm a wagon now the name is buddha bitch damn. Uh, look around only one that is and i'm a wagon now